Welcome to the Jungle Brothers Podcast. I'm your host, Joey, and today I'm joined by Coach Serge Julias to talk about the art of coaching. I really hope you enjoy this episode. I enjoyed this deep conversation uh, all about coaching with this fella. Uh, on that, if you do like the show, please show us some love, share an episode with a friend, helps get the word out there, and leave us a five-star review on whichever platform you listen to us to. Both of those things go a really long way to helping the show continue to thrive and for us to keep bringing on these awesome conversations. Hope you enjoyed today's chat. See you in there. We're on, my bro. Serge, welcome to the show. I am stoked to be here. Mate, I'm stoked to have you here. Um, you're one of the most thoughtful guys I know. Uh, we started working together. You, you came into the gym and we're doing a bit of training together once a month. Mm-hmm. Um, you're a CrossFit guy, but you know we didn't we didn't hold that against you here. We were like, no, he can be part of this once a month. Um, we've had some sessions, gone through some stuff, talking training, movement, but the prevailing thing about our time has always been the the depth of your questions and your sort of what you've been. I guess, racking in your head in regards to coaching. And that has always struck me as like, man, Serge is a deeply thoughtful guy about this thing. Tell me about like, tell me about that and you and being thoughtful. Firstly, I, um, I love the title of the CrossFit guy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Um, I'm only the CrossFit guy in your space because <laughs> you're like not the CrossFit guys. Um, but part of the reason that I sought coaching from yourself was to not be that. To, to branch out a little bit. And I think I sent you a message early on about how the whole idea was to do something that I wasn't doing. And over the last four to five years since I've been in the fitness industry, I think there are certain uh, factors or aspects that you grasp onto when you use those certain things for stability. So, for example, once you understand how to coach a war ball or once you understand... Uh, the appropriate amount of ankle mobility and squat that's something that you 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 base your coaching philosophy on and as I said an organic progression of that has been where I'm at a point where I'm starting to question those things now and so coming into a space like yours where you do things totally different to what I've been brought up um, that's been the whole point of like Yeah, doing something different. And, and the, the thing that comes to mind as I'm discussing this is there's that, um, there's this, that Socrates was this ancient Greek philosopher and he was renowned as one of the most smartest dudes back in the day. And one of his most famous quotes was, I know that I know nothing. And it was that idea that he'd built up such a huge intellectual base and yet here he was going, I don't know, Jack, bro. And that's really powerful. And I think, not that I would compare myself to Socrates, but I suppose what I'm doing is I've arrived at a point where I can look, look back and go, yeah, like this is important and that's important, but like, is it really? And so that's been a huge impetus of me coming into this space. And so, yeah, coaching is interesting in that respect because people are dynamic and... I think we like to believe that we have solutions to problems and maybe we do, but ultimately I think it's this process of like 
being a little bit less wrong. Maybe that's a better way to articulate it. And coming into this space has helped me be a little bit less wrong, maybe. Have you always had... Um, have you always thought in this way or has this been something that's come about more as you're, you've sort of delved down the path of coaching? I'll put it this way. If I had a dollar for every time someone told me, like, you're overthinking this, <laughs> um, yeah, I'd probably be retired on a boat, you know, <laughs> yeah. out of all clues way. So <laughs> I would say that my introspection started probably about the time like early early adolescence where like that's a transitional period for everyone and that's a period where like you know before then you you organically fall into friendships and you're just there hanging out with your buddies and you're riding your bikes playing footy or whatever and then all of a sudden people start changing and for whatever reason I really struggled with that transition so I started to introspect a lot and question like whether I'm good enough to be hanging out with the you know the boys um I remember being in year eight and um a bunch of my friends in year seven had gone different routes and and for whatever reason I came back to the new year questioning you know whether I was cool enough to hang out with certain people so during recess I would go and sit in the bathrooms and ponder and think and just generally try and get away from people. And then during lunchtime, I would take like 10 cents to school and I would wait in the canteen line and I would let every single person push in front of me because it meant I could be in the canteen line longer. And by <laughs> the end of lunch, yeah, it's pretty fucking sad, eh? Um, Fascinating. Yeah. Wait, wait, were you feeling, was there any hint of depression or anything? Were you feeling... I've never been, um, I've never labelled it as such. So it wasn't, nece- it wasn't a negative experience for you at the time? Oh, it definitely was. Oh, okay. It definitely right. was negative because, as I said, like I, you know, I, I didn't, I literally would see my quote unquote friends and I would question whether they wanted to hang out with me. And so the easier alternative was to just retreat and hang out with myself. The point is that's probably when a lot of introspection started. And whether it was introspection because I was massively insecure or whether it was introspection because I was trying to grasp certain aspects of my character. Um, So I would say that I've quote-unquote been this way perhaps since then, whereas prior to that I might not have questioned to the extent that I do. Yeah. Yeah. And so assuming then that the questioning occurs in all facets of your life, relationship, Mm -hmm. family dynamics... Mm -hmm. Political views, mm-hmm. right on. Did I like that movie? I don't know. Was it actually a movie? Let's talk about that. <laughs> you made me think of the Jordan Peterson clip that that's been getting memed. To oh. fucking to the one, um, the one where he's like, "If you want to ask a question, first we have to talk about what is actually a question." And the, you know, and he's like, and he's all riled up, and it looks really bad for him. But he's like, "You're like, bro, it's just a question. Relax." Yeah, but yeah, it makes me think of that a little bit. Yeah. There is a little bit of that. Okay. Um, and personal relationships are interesting because <laughs> sometimes the purpose of a relationship is not to antagonize and question. Sometimes the, pur- the purpose of a relationship is to accept things uh, for what they are. Uh-huh. So that's been a journey, put it that way. You're talking with your significant other? Absolutely, I am. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, it switches, doesn't it? 
at different times, I suppose. Mm, mm, mm. At times your role might be, say, more like a coach mm-hmm. to provide some accountability, which could be antagonistic, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, at times it's like just be cool, accept, yeah, don't push. But I even think it's that way with particular clients as well, isn't it? And I'm sure you've experienced this in your coaching practice. There are you, – you learn which clients respond well to being provoked – and which ones respond well to being positively affirmed. Yeah. Ultimately, you're getting the most out of them, but in a way that, you know, works with them for whatever reason. Yeah. And I think for me anyway, like a relationship is, it, my, my intimate relationship is hugely significant. And so I'm less inclined to accept things because I quote unquote want the best from this relationship um, but yeah, I think specifically to talk client and, and coach, yeah, there are certain clients you provoke and there are certain clients that you go, Hey bro, nice thruster, have a good day, pat them on the back and you know, it's just a different dynamic. Yeah. Tell me then about the, um, so you came here kind of looking to, I suppose, challenge then some paradigms and mm-hmm. expose yourself to some new things. What, like, obviously we've touched on the CrossFit piece. That's been the, correct me if I'm wrong, that's been the bulk of your uh, recent kind of yeah. athletic development. Yeah. Um, how, long have you, how long have you been CrossFitting for? 2017 was when I started. Okay, cool. Um, and how long have you been coaching it for? I've been coaching CrossFit since 2019. I started with kids and have eventually progressed into adults. Very cool. Yeah. Um, and so then coming here, like, talk to me about, you know, like assuming people who are listening and may, maybe that maybe they don't understand, they don't know CrossFit that well. Um, what, what is it that you were looking for? What were you trying to challenge? What, where did you felt the limitations of your CrossFit experience lay? This is a, uh, a I'll sit back question. for the next 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, it's like any movement practice, isn't it? Like, um, I'm also not trying, just to frame it, I'm not trying to get you to hang shit on CrossFit. <laughs> like, Joey just got me on the show and all he wanted to do was talk about how shit, cro- I don't want to do that. I just want to know kind of what you're... And then all your listeners are just like frothing at the mouth. Going, they're like, yeah, yeah Jungle Bros CrossFit. is where it's at. Yeah, I hate CrossFit. I don't even know what it is. Fuck Surge. <laughs> no, um, uh, but just more just to get in the like- episode title CrossFit Coach because people won't listen. <laughs> CrossFit um, coach gets wrecked yeah, in exactly. capitals. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what was your, yeah, like what was the driving force behind that? Well, as I said, I think any movement practice becomes limiting to a point because there are certain like um, principles and foundations that you base a lot of it on. Um, and like I alluded to as I was answering the first question, it's like those principles and, and dogmas are necessary in order to structure a training program or structure an hour workout. Um, but then they're also limiting. Like dogma is a word thrown a lot around in the fitness space, but it's necessary in order to provide a quote-unquote service. Even the whole sales process predicates on the fact that you have a solution to sell to a certain problem that someone is experiencing. Mm-hmm. Framed differently, my dogma is going to help you get out of what you're in. So it was, it was literally the idea of 
And once again, when I say dogma, I don't mean it in a negative way. I mean it in a way whereby it's absolutely helped me be successful. And it's helped you guys be successful as well. Like you've got down on the whiteboard all of your foundational movement principles, like the handstand. It's like, once again, we might not use dogma to frame those, but they are certain principles that you believe are important. And you've, you structure your training in a way where people can look at those and go, okay, that's what I want to achieve. So yeah, it was, it was just this idea of like not challenging, but maybe adding to the beliefs that I currently have, like expanding as opposed to replacing. I remember listening to your podcast with Logan Gelbrick and he talked about transcending and including. Maybe that is a more accurate way to, to sort of frame why I wanted to move, quote-unquote, out of the CrossFit realm. I wanted to transcend and include different aspects of movement practice. I remember the first time that um, we started working together and um, you had me on the floor doing these, like, lizard claw variations. And I remember feeling, like, exceptionally weird and sort of insecure and on show but about halfway through the exercise I was like man this is what it feels like when you bring a client in and you're putting them through the same process you're introducing them to your your movement principles and they feel the same so that was hugely impactful for me um because you know coaching for for how long I've coached and coaching for how, how long you have coached very rarely you get put in that position whereby you're practicing something and you're like, man, I feel a bit like a dickhead. Like, what am I doing? Everyone's looking at me. Like, so that was a powerful lesson in and of itself, but that's all part of this process of, you know, transcending and including different aspects of a movement practice. And so to try to, and so, yeah, I I think that's really good. I like that model transcending and including, like you're trying to become better, grow further but take the good bits of the previous you or mm-hmm. the previous coaching methodology mm-hmm. and bring them to your new height, but also mix with new... It's the classic Bruce Lee thing, isn't it? Um, you know, take what's useful, discards what's useless, yep. and then add what's uniquely yours. Yep. Um, yeah, versus, I guess, just to kind of model that for folks, versus like, oh, you know what? CrossFit's shit. I'm not into that anymore. I'm jumping all in on this thing. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. And that's like... That's fine if the thing that you were doing was actually shit completely. Yeah. But I don't think anything's ever shit completely. No, definitely like, not. Right? There's like the, and of course, and you know, we've acknowledged this many times, there's things in CrossFit that for us were pivotal in building our methodology. Even the idea of a warehouse gym. Yeah. That didn't exist before CrossFit. Ones that you don't have to clean. What do you mean? <laughs> well, the old school CrossFits were like typically dirty and dingy. It's true, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we... we we decided to include that piece. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, like, so there was a lot, of, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we took from that, from that movement. Um, in terms of, can you point to any kind of, say, specific movement elements or coaching elements that, that became clear to you as, ah, I want, I want to bring in some more of this. I would like to include some of that. What I really admire about, what you guys do in here is you you create an environment that's conducive to attention and creativity and what i mean by that is say quote-unquote traditional crossfit is quite linear in terms of the movement patterns yes we're doing complex things like a snatch and a clean and jerk and you know like a kipping bar muscle they're, they're complicated movements but they're also quite linear in nature 
And as I said, what I appreciate about what you guys do in here is you you might demonstrate a particular movement. It's non-linear. So it's like straight away, you can't just quote-unquote go through the motions. You have to be paying attention. And then there's also there's also an element of creativity that's being expressed in that because in CrossFit they talk about points of performance. These are the five points of performance of a deadlift. Um, quarter extremity, blah, 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 blah. Um, and once again, those are, those are appropriate rules in terms of demonstrating a standard. But once again, what you guys do in here, from what I've seen and from what we've been through, maybe it's less about points of performance and like let's see how you individually express when you're paying attention to how your body's moving, you know, where, where do you place your right hand, your left hand, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I, I like those two elements, the, the attention piece purely – by the nature of we're doing something quote-unquote unconventional, so you have to pay attention. And the second element is you're, you allow for creativity in that, creativity in that expression, you know, because once again, we use a deadlift as an analogy. Deadlift is fairly simple in terms of move load from point A to point B. And there's nuance in that, you know, um, talking about all the cues and that, but there's, there's less room for deviation from that, very ingrained pattern so attention and creativity for sure are two specific elements which i think within this specific space and practice have been hugely influential for me in my own and what i try and capture in like a client's practice now it's funny you say that um this morning well this is our first week back for a group that i train a small group in the morning i train with them and uh, it's our first week back. We started on Wednesday and had our second session today. So we took it pretty light, did a bit of mobility work. And then we worked on a couple of new barbell lifts, which are going to feature over the, in the next training phase, which will start next week. Mm. Um, one, of the lifts, the one of the lifts we're doing today was the, uh, the one-arm straddle Jefferson deadlift, <laughs> which I don't know if you've seen that, but it's one of the ones I learned recently at the Range of Strength workshop. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you basically standing over the bar, so the bar's between your feet, mm-hmm. and then you're coming down, you're gripping it with one arm, and then you, you're in a classical deadlift setup, but you're gripping with one arm, and then your other hand is on your knee, and you're kind of framing on that. Sure. And then you're... You know, standing up and extending the hip, and that's the top of the deadlift. So yep. the bar's running between your legs. So you finish the bar's kind of, you know, in your crotch. Yep. And then you're coming back down. It's a really cool lift. Sounds exceptionally functional. Right? <laughs> I mean, not so much where the bar is. Yeah. But the idea of like you're picking something up one handed, right? It's between your legs. Like, yeah, this is huge. Um, and so it, uh, what was interesting about it was the, the way that I learned that stuff was it was very, brief like at the range of strength thing with lucas he was just like hey here's a lift try this mm. try and do this mm. cool yeah have a go he didn't really coach or, or cue or anything all that much uh, i think that was for a few reasons but one of the things i took away from that was that almost doesn't matter too much like particularly if you're giving it to people who are somewhat experienced with training already they'll they should you give them the basic parameters of the movement and then they kind of fall within those and mm. find their best setup mm. Uh, obviously, it's like once they're into it a bit, I'm I'm providing some more cues and whatnot. But um, we're talking about it. And one of the guys like, man, this feels fucking awesome. He's like, you know, and it feels like there's not a lot to think about. Like you just kind of do it. And I was like, yeah, it's it's kind of the case. Uh, but I was telling him how originally weightlifting was was that as well. Weightlifting was 
get the weight from here to here and just do it however is for best sure. for you. For sure. And it's only, you know, after many years of, of that being the way that it was practiced yep. that we all kind of agreed on, hey, the snatch and the clean and jerk conventional techniques are the most efficient techniques yep. which are now the prevailing techniques right you don't see anyone in the olympics doing anything else like they don't have a different snatch variation or a different clean variation it's interesting that you use the example of the snatch and the clean and jerk because just recently i was i was playing around with that exact thing because in crossfit we olympic lift well, at our gym anyway maybe two or three times a week and I think what's important for people to understand is that Olympic lifters train six times a week, three hours a day, and they do two things ever, but they're still refining aspects of the lift. And so I think in CrossFit, maybe we have this lofty expectation to be proficient in, in these lifts where realistically we're not putting in 20% of the hours that an Olympic lifter is. So I was like, okay, as coaches, we love, we froth the technical stuff, you know, of an Olympic lift potentially you know, fast elbows, triple extension, all these sorts of things. And I was thinking about that exact thing that you just referenced in terms of like, just just get weight from A to B in the fastest and best way possible. And you start there. And a lot of the time, like there's less to refine and cue because people are doing it in a way that is efficient. And you can explain it in the context of the reason why you swing the bar out is you know, not adding up to a appropriate lift is because it's not efficient because it's coming away from your body versus going, all right, we need to keep the bar close, this and that. It's like you start with the context of A to B in the simplest and most effective way and then it gives you a, um, something to work with, particularly with people who are pretty green with these movements. So I, I admire, was it Lucas? Yeah. Just saying, hey, pick it up. And... I think it gives you far more wiggle room than if you started with all this rigid structure and went, all right, this and that, this and that, and just by the end of it, say particularly in a CrossFit context, people are overwhelmed. Maybe if you specifically go seek Olympic lifting from a dude and you know, you're training three hours a day, yeah, great, start with the nuance. But I think for most people, particularly in these spaces that kind of want a little bit of everything, just good to simplify the context. And I think as a coach like Lucas and say myself or yourself in this situation, it's like we want to give people all the technique stuff. Yeah, we want to flex that. For sure. But and, we, day, and I think we often feel like we have to. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there's also an element of um, you want to, quote, unquote, provide people value. You want to blow their minds every session. And once again, that might not be in a, in a bad way. It's like I genuinely want to give people value. But sometimes the best way to give people value is say, hey, pick it up. See you go with that. Do 10 and then let's talk about it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. It makes me think of a uh, – I was listening to a jiu-jitsu coach on a podcast the other day who has quite a unique way of coaching and he's kind of very critical of the typical jiu-jitsu coaching method, which is like, hey, I'm going to show you this technique and here's step one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Mm-hmm cool we arrive at the end point okay you guys drill it mm-hmm. he's like no nah, it's all fucked up he's like what you want to do is you need to give people the you need to tell them what they're trying to achieve and you need to tell them like what the concepts behind that are mm-hmm. so you know i was thinking about it like relevant to like a deadlift you know the typical teaching of a deadlift is all right stance grip position right so you're going to have your feet at hip width 
Uh, you're going to have your grip about a thumb distance off the thighs. And then you're going to start down here with the spine at about 45 degrees. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then you're going to stand up and you're going to come back down. All right. Versus, I want you to pick the bar up. I want you to finish in this position. You need to do it in a way that feels comfortable for you. I want, the, I want you to be in a strong position with your back. Mm-hmm. And I don't mind where you put your feet or your hands. But just show me like how you can do that in a way that's ergonomic and safe. Yeah. And you'll probably find, I've actually never coached it like that, but you probably find that the people with longer legs will go wider, maybe grip on the inside. Mm-hmm. The people who are a bit shorter legged, like myself, mm-hmm. will go narrow grip, hands on, uh, narrow stance, hands on the outside. Um, yeah, it makes perfect sense. I never, I've never, I never really coached like that though. And I think that it's, um, I mean, I'd probably do more so these days, but say with something like a deadlift, where it's like you've coached it thousands of times, you can't, you tend to just revert back to, hey, stand here, grip here, do the thing. Yeah, I think there's a lot in that. The trick there is you have to be able to explain those concepts, don't yeah. you? Yeah. You have to know what the principles are of that movement. Yeah. I was going to ask you, is it possible to do that like with some of the more um, creative movement concepts that you guys incorporate? Yeah, I, give it a go. Yeah, I think like, what, like say the locomotion and stuff like that? Yeah, Sure. I think it is. I, I guess the it definitely it definitely is. But I think the like uh, from a conceptual perspective, that approach makes a lot of sense to me. So like, yeah, you you're, you're giving people the autonomy to kind of find the way of less resistance for them. Mm. But then the counterpoint to that is that a lot of people don't actually have the body awareness, coordination, whatever you want to call it. And also the control of their own body to truly know what the path of least resistance is. Yep. Do they? Like, so if I'm, you know, if I give someone the lizard crawl as, in, as that example, always, always their elbows will flare from their body because an internally rotated shoulder position will be stronger for them. Now, an internally rotated shoulder position is a stronger position. Like you are able to create more force there. But an externally rotated shoulder position where the elbows are closer to the body, this is more advantageous for strength training where we're not actually trying to do the movement for the sake of the movement. We're trying to do the movement so that we can become strong and use it as a tool yep. for strength. Yep. So in, and, and that's what strength is, right? It's, it's a way to expose weakness repeatedly in the hope that it is no longer a weakness or less so. Well, it's resistance training. That's right. The idea that you're resisting the urge to internally rotate. Yeah. That's why it's strength training. Exactly. The deadlift, the idea that you're resisting the urge to round your spine. That's why it's strength training. So in that regard, I think that it, you, you know what we're talking about can definitely be used. But I don't think it's like a case of throw the baby out with the bath where I go, mm. you know what? I'm not telling anyone where to grip or where to put their feet. I'm just giving them concepts. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's kind of a nice idea, but yeah, nah. When you talked about the jujitsu example... I've done about a week's worth of jiu-jitsu, so I'm like, you know. Oh, yeah. I'd probably kill someone. Fucking A. Yeah. Um, Where at? I did it at a place called Grappling Education in Cogra. Oh, yeah, Kel's gym. Yeah. He's a ledge. He trains um, here with us sometimes. There you go. Um, but my experience was that it was that sort of like, here's the technique, this is where you put this, this and I the way that my brain was framing it was I'm like, but I don't understand the point, like, What's the context for this thing? And so it took me a while. I was kind of like looking around at other people going like, 
what 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 why are we doing this for so it was a it was a very um obvious example for me because i've experienced that directly in a jiu-jitsu gym and you so for you and i mean obviously you're a thoughtful guy yeah you need the context don't you for sure whereas someone who's like maybe just doesn't care that much okay doesn't sir. they'll be like okay great can yeah. do yeah put the timer on i'll do it until the timer beeps here's another interesting thing about what we're talking about and this is something that um i've become a little bit more privy to in my coaching practice sometimes the whole point of a crossfit workout is to finish the fastest Sometimes finishing the fastest doesn't involve the best technique. Yep. You watch the games. How dare you say that? <laughs> I want both. Well, that's the irony, right? It's like as coaches, we expect people to rigidly hold these perfect positions, but then go fast because we're telling them to go fast. Yeah. There's a huge mismatch in expectations. We had at our gym, we distinguished between practice competition and mental toughness this is not our model this is a model that we've adopted from a guy over in america he's called kenny kane and brilliant dude anyway six percent of the time they practice so the overarching context of their workout is practice 30 percent of the time they're competing 10 percent of the time they're doing a mental toughness workout we had a competition workout at our gym a few days ago and at the end of the workout i said Raise your hands if you felt like you moved perfectly today. No one put their hand up. I said, raise your hands if you felt like you could have moved better today. Everyone put their hand up. I said, congratulations, you did it right. Because our context was to finish the work as fast as possible. Not to move perfectly. That would be more conducive to a practice stimulus. Yeah. That might be something whereby you guys are, are doing in here. You know, oh, someone's slightly internally rotating. They're, they're doing the work. In, in a way that works for them. But if we're going for a practice or a strength stimulus, then you correct those things. So I think a lot of time in CrossFit, sometimes our expectations are mismatched. And you could make the case that fitness is like getting better at moving faster with perfect positions. But ultimately, the faster you go, the more compromised there's going to be. Like if there are guys at the games like purposely pulling their reps up short, for example, in a warble, like you know, 90% of them can squat ass the grass, but in a war ball, which is basically, you know, you take a ball in a front rack position, you squat and then you pop it up, hit a point in the wall and come back down. They're purposely shortening their reps to quote unquote gain the fitness. It's right. like, is that perfect movement? No, because they can be moving better, but they're doing it because they're What's trying to move faster. Perfect for the task. Exactly. Yeah. So this idea of context, and it's such a simple but brilliant model. And that's like, this is something that I was very outspoken about and, um, when I moved to Sydney and, and came to this gym, I was like, we've got we to play around with this model. And I'm grateful that, um, you know, that we have been able to incorporate it and s- slowly the members are starting to get in, getting the hang of it. I think there's always, you know, on a quote-unquote practice day, some guys still like, yeah, fuck you, I'd finish faster. That's fine. But the idea is we distinguish between go fast, maybe not move the best, go slow, move the best. And then other days it's like just – it's all about character and those are the mental toughness days. But context is super duper important, I think particularly in the coaching space. And if we're not clear about our context and our intent, then we can't have expectations around movement quality or how fast you finished because you have not given people a quote-unquote success criteria. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I really like that, the the, the ratio you mentioned from Kenny Kane. Mm. It's obviously specific to a CrossFit gym, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, just identifying, hey, this is the context for this portion of the training mm-hmm. or this portion of the programming or the month or whatever it is. 
Um, and I guess the way we see that here is that you have your body weight classes, lift, strength and movement, um, stretch. They are practice. Mm-hmm. And then you have jiu-jitsu and Thai boxing, which is also practice for like half the class. And then yep. when it's sparring time, it's like, you don't want to call it competition because it's not all out, mm-hmm. but it's like the freestyle part. For sure. Yeah. And it's like, hey, you don't want to be, you know, I don't, you don't want to be thinking about your shoulder positioning uh, when you're trying to defend a takedown Absolutely. or, you know, whatever, fucking choke someone. It's yep. like, I mean, maybe you do for more effectiveness, but you should be thinking about choking them out yeah. or taking the motherfucker down. Yeah. If you're thinking too much about where your shoulder is while someone's on top of you, you're like, <laughs> it's ground and pound time. Exactly. And you're on the wrong end of that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's cool. It's it's a nice way to put it. I, I mean, definitely in the jiu-jitsu game, it's very easy for it all just to become competition. Mm. You know, you practice bit, you're like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. We'll get through it in class. Hey, can we roll? And then once you're rolling, it's like comp time. I mean, the best guys are able to use the the that time actually for practice as well. Mm. 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 In any case, so you recently, uh, the, the last session that we had, which is at the end of um, 2022, you were talking about um, you had kind of expressed some sort of doubtful elements about your ability to coach. Mm-hmm. And I think it was, you know, your introspection had become, you know, like you'd gone like, fuck, like who am I actually to be telling people what to do? Um, talk to me about that. Yeah, because you're obviously a smart guy. I'm sure anyone listening, they're like, Serge knows his shit. Uh, I've always believed that. I thought, you, you know an exceptionally kind of like thoughtful and gifted coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, expand on on sort of where your head was with that and if it's still there. Put it this way. The way I'm going to contextualize my answer to this question is that I look at my coaching as a practice. That gives me room to fuck up from time to time, but it also gives me room to reflect and improve on that. So the question is, you know, doubts around my capacity to coach and i think that they're always somewhat there like just last night i delivered a session and i was like man that was not good could have been way better poor time management i tried to give too much information in a short amount of time i wasn't explicit with my instruction but once again i go look this is a coaching practice this is the idea about like you're allowed to make a couple of mistakes as long as you reflect and then you know, your intent is to improve on them. And as a side, one of the things that frustrates me most about coaches, and I told myself I wasn't going to wail on other coaches, but oh, I'll divulge for a second. One of the things that frustrates me a lot about coaches is that they might get to a point and decide that they know all they need to know. And it's basically about delivering the snatch in X manner or coaching a war ball like so, or even going over a lizard crawl or a ring dip or some of these concepts. It's like, yep, we know how to coach these things. But I think what makes a bad coach is their inability to reflect. Because I think just the nature of working with people, there's always an opportunity to reflect because you're dealing with different and diverse communities all the time. So I think that the capacity to reflect and then improve on that it's huge. And to your point about my doubts, that's my process of reflecting and going, where can I be better? You know, how, how could I have delivered X differently? Um, specifically, with regards to my, my doubts around my capacity to deliver things, I think that perhaps some of it comes from 
this idea that like in CrossFit, we, we try and be generalist. We, we know a little bit about everything. And as a coach, you want to believe that like you're specializing in X or whatever, because that's what you can ultimately sell to people. So for example, Haley, my partner, she spent a lot of time acquainting herself with mobility and flexibility and ways to improve people's mobility to get out of pain and be able to move more free. And she specialized in that. She's fucking awesome at it. So for me, I'm like, okay, what's my speciality? Okay, okay, I'll be the, I'll be the gymnastics guy. And then I come and train with you guys. I'm like, I'm not the fucking gymnastics guy. So it's like, maybe it's this insecurity about needing to be the best or you, you need to have a certain degree of competency in order to sell something. But once again, you go, you go swim in a bigger pond and you're like, yeah, I'm not the dude. And so I sometimes struggle to sell people on things because it predicates that, for me anyway, that I'm certain about what I'm selling. And I'm not a lot of the time. And I have it in myself that I need to be honest about that. Like the, the reality is it's like, yeah, like we can do some training. You might get better. <laughs> you might not. Here's a, here's a question on that thought. Do you think Socrates would have been out of line if he had have mentored someone? even though Socrates had acknowledged that he actually didn't know that much? Mm. No, I don't think he would have been. But I also think... I imagine that the, the mentoring relationship was not necessarily predicated on what Socrates knew, but it was who he was. And to tie it back to our starting of our relationship... <laughs> I think the first time our met, relationship. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I think the first time we met, you probably said about three words in total, but you just listened for an hour. And by the end of it, I'm like, I want to fucking work with Joey because it was like how you held the space and your character, and like you did not tell me anything you knew. You didn't say, "Hey, Serge, like I can sell you." I did. I have no. I had literally no idea how like you could have helped me develop a ring muscle up. I had no idea, but I was attracted to you because of who you were. So to answer your question about Socrates being out of line, I think that maybe the mentoring relationship, yeah, was less predicated on here's what I know and, like, here's who I am. You know, let's hang out and perhaps you can absorb some qualities that you think are favourable and then apply those qualities to broaden your perspective and make better decisions potentially. Thanks for the compliment. That would surely be the same dynamic that you would be tapping into when you're there with a potential client though, right? So you're having, like, so you're the guy and in your mind you're like, well, I'm not the guy. But in their mind, they're like, Serge is the guy. Like, he's really good at gymnastics as an example. Mm -hmm. I've seen him. He can do muscle-ups and shit and, you know, walk on his hands and whatever. Mm -hmm. So in that moment, you are that person to them, are you not? I suppose so, Yeah. I just don't feel comfortable saying, hey, we're going to get you X. Like, I'm going to sell you this certainty. I just don't feel comfortable doing that. Right. Yeah. That then I would ask, like, what are you, what are you, you know, what is it that you're promising to sell? Like, so say, you know, there's, there's, there's a difference, isn't there, between like, hey, man, I can guarantee that if you train with me for three months, you're going to have a six-pack. 
and you're going to have like fucking huge back muscles, right? I, I don't know. I, I, you know, that's, that's one thing. Or you could say, hey, I can guarantee that if you train me for three months, you're going to learn heaps about strength training. You are going to become way stronger and you will be in a, like, a much different position. You'll be feeling way more confident than you are right now about mm. how to proceed forward. Mm. Would that not be a promise you could make? For sure. For sure. So I think then it often comes down to like, and this is a com- this is almost goes to a sales thing, doesn't it? Where mm. it's like, well, what are you what are you actually telling them you're going to sell them? And I think that in in the gym we get fixated on like we get fixated on the movements or the techniques. Mm. We also get fixated on like the the features. The features are the six pack. The features are bulging muscles, whatever. Like you know, low body fat. But the benefits are you're going to feel like way more confident in yourself. You're be really happy about your health journey, you can have more energy, to, you know, like all that stuff that is like, well, actually, yeah, it's a lot, there's a lot of cool benefits there. I think that's the stuff that, we, that, that is more important and that's the stuff that's implied when you're in the presence of a good coach who maybe doesn't need to say that much and you are gleaning this information from them mm. in that two-way communication where there's not actually much coming from them maybe verbally. I have a question for you. Please. How do you think about fitness? How would you define fitness? Can I tell a funny story just on fitness? Absolutely. Totally off track. My brother was telling me, uh, we're talking about a mutual friend of ours. Um, and my brother, my brother ended up meeting this guy. He's my mate's sister's husband. My brother met him through a different means. He's like, oh, we, we both know this guy, Jules. Anyway, when my brother was living with his family, he was staying at my parents' place a couple of years ago. They were in between homes, so they were staying there for like six months. And he goes, man, Jules was a legend. He invited me to join his fitness group. And it was down in Thoreau where mm-hmm. they were. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And he goes, fitness as in fathers in Thoreau needing extra social support. <laughs> and they'd meet at the pub once a week, smash beers. And that was the fitness group. <laughs> I was like, that's so cool. And you're like, that is how I think about fitness. <laughs> yeah, I was like, there it is, Serge. Oh, how do I think about it? How do you think about it? How would you define it? What's it all about? Fitness, uh, it's interesting you ask because on the whiteboard behind you is actually the Jungle Alliance slash Jungle Brothers definition of what physicality, which is our sort of term for fitness, should be. It should make you durable, adaptable, and expressive. Now, I can't actually think of a better way to put that. Mm-hmm. Durable as in you're strong, you are tough, you can handle some shit. Whether that shit is pressure that someone's giving you on the mats, like actual physical pressure, or it's, you know what, you gotta, uh, you're not able to train for the next month and you only got access to McDonald's, but somehow you're still gonna, your body, like you're not going to be sick over it. You're not going to like fall to pieces. You're going to hold together like mm-hmm. stressful circumstances mm-hmm. or I don't know, whatever someone passes away and you go through some physical stress adaptable meaning that you can change between situations so i want to go do some bouldering with a friend yep i'm going to jump in on a dance class next week whatever it is but i'm not uh my body is a tool that can perform at least to some degree in all of those arenas Mm -hmm. and you know it also speaks to the adaptive piece piece also speaks to the mindset Mm -hmm. Uh, and then expressive it's like you can you can express it how you want so you want to be the big, strong, burly fucking savage, lifts heavy barbells and all that. Great, you can do that. You want to be the, you know, the, the, the Muay Thai killer, head kicks and mad flexibility and, you know, savage, whatever. Like 
you can express yourself and your interests through your body. Now, a really good way to, I think, to, to look at those is think about the opposite of those things. Think about someone that's not durable. That is the person that has no usefulness in a physical environment. Think about the person that's not adaptable. They're rigid in their mind. They're rigid in their body. Mm-hmm. They are, you know, classic example is they've been powerlifting for 10 years. They're strong as fuck in that environment. But you want to take them into a, a, um, a salsa class and they just melt and they're like, I can't do this, yep. you know? Um, expressive, that is perhaps... Someone that's training in a gym, pushing weights, running on the treadmill, whatever, but they got no coordination. You get them out on the soccer field. They want to play soccer. Mm. They want to throw the frisbee on the beach, but their uncoordinated hand-eye coordination is not there. You know, so it's like we can be training and we can actually be moving in the opposite direction of all those things. Yeah. So that that's kind of how I define fitness. Now, you know, in regards to that, say like the way CrossFit sort of looks at it. It's kind of the same, broad time and modal domains in mm-hmm. a sense, right? Mm-hmm. Increased work capacity. What's, what's the domain? We're, we're not talking so much, are you running 400s or are you doing you know, 1RMs or are you doing endurance event? But it could be that. that could, triathlon could be your expression. You know, Olympic weightlifting where 1RM is a thing, that could be your expression. So it's, it, it's, it kind of, as we see it, that is all-inclusive and it's relevant to the individual and for me, personally, how I see that, how I see fitness, it evolves over time. Yep. I don't wish to be the same specimen that I was two years ago. Now I'm like, eh. Are you sure? Well, You're I... a bit s- of a specimen. Well, no, I still want to be a specimen, but a different <laughs> one. Like, that was, you know, like maybe you could say like 10 years ago, I wanted to be a fucking savage on the mats. Yeah. And now I, I don't really care about that as much. The mats, the jiu-jitsu thing isn't as bigger focus for me what am i interested in why i'm actually interested in a bit of you know unconventional barbell work at the moment and rebuilding uh some flexibility mm-hmm. i've also been thinking you know what i want to surf i'd like to start surfing i don't have time for it right now but it's like okay that's coming up you know hunting's there that's something i want to get into so you know it evolves over time you know and it and it, and it will change and so the type of training i'm doing all the the specific focuses of the training will the ratios will change yeah I really like that. And what you haven't communicated, which I think is super important on that board, is the way that you have stacked adaptability and durability as your pillars and then expression on the top. And what I think of when I look at that info is perhaps most people only see the expression, which is the quote-unquote the six-pack or the 120-kilo snatch. And so we focus on the expression as opposed to building up the building up the pillars of durability and adaptability. I also think what comes to mind when I look at that is, and this is part of how I understand fitness, but you've got four different layers. The first layer is physicality, so that might be the expression, just the, the, the outward-facing result of the fitness. The next is physiology, so this is your capacity in a broader sense, your access to different domains, your access to a vocabulary of different movements, the ability for a powerlifter to lift a lot of weight and then, you know, do an endurance event, like physiologically, physiological capacities. So if we're using your structure there, physically is expression. Physiologically, we have adaptability, speaking about capacity. 
psychologically, that would be the durability, the quote-unquote resilience. Right. How psychologically malleable you are. I have a fourth layer, which is philosophical, which is like, what's the point? What's the concept? Like, how does fitness help you explore yourself? And I think that if I was to add to your pillars, which I think are awesome, it would be an element of like, where is the self in all of this? Where is that, that how does, you know, how does the hunting or how does the jujitsu help you to arrive at a point of more self-knowledge? And so I think that, as I said, your system there is definitely in alignment with how I would think about it. You might use different words, but I was, I'm pleased to hear that that's sort of how you conceptualize it. Yeah, um, yeah, I do think it's it's kind of largely the same, right? And the yeah, I think the like the self growth piece for us. So that there is one of the one of the spheres of our model, and then there's two more spheres, and collectively they kind of equal your growth as an individual. Mm. That part there is purely the physical side of it, even yep. though it does imply certain mental capacities as well or yep. psychological capacities. Um, but I, I also think, say relevant to, to that point um, of the self-growth, I'm like, if I take you on a journey of like a physical journey, and I believe this for most people, if I make you durable, I help you build a body that's adaptable, I help you build a body that can express itself how it wants, the growth is inherent to that. For sure. You will change. Like your, your thoughts your confidence, your feelings about yourself and the world will shift. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of, uh, we know this, like this, is, this has been our thing with the, with the Alliance, um, building strong people, strong bodies, strong communities. Yep. It's like we actually start with the body and the rest follows. And that's what I think this gym is an expression of. And, you know, your gym, um, CrossFit Hurstville, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and any, any good gym, it's like, hey, we get, we get around here to get strong and get fit and do all this shit together. And then actually the inherent, the, the kind of secret benefits that weren't on the contract are you become happier, you connect better with people around you, you know, you relate better to your environment, you become a better citizen, a better human. Yeah. What comes to mind for me when I hear that is I think about an iceberg and the tip of the iceberg, once again, being the physicality, like the expression of such. Where I think things go wrong is that if only the tip of the iceberg is sold or marketed to say on Instagram or, or a coach is saying, Hey, I'm going to get you X without like addressing any of the stuff under the water, then there is no authentic change. And that's what I think happens a lot in the fitness industry. It's like, I think there are statistics out there now saying that like, you know, we're the most fat and overweight we've ever been. Like clearly we're not doing something right. <laughs> yeah. We're failing a lot of people. And I think a lot of that comes down to this, this overemphasis on the physical, this overemphasis on the expression without actually addressing the idea of like authentic change through building adaptability, through building durability, through addressing like your understanding of self. And granted, the way that you've expressed it and the way that you would go about doing that, sure, great. It's not to say you sit down your client on day one and go, hey, bro, I got a psychotherapist in here. Like just hang out for three hours and then we can talk training. That doesn't mean you do it like that, but I think it. the training needs to address that. And I don't think you're doing anyone huge favours by, like, 
getting hung up on the outward expression of that because it just reinforces an ideal or belief whereby that's the thing I want as opposed to like I need to change a lot about myself and that's the expression of the change. Am I making sense? Yeah, I get it, though i got to push back. Okay. Because I feel the, like you said, the marketing of fitness. And, you know, as a marketer, one of the, the tricky parts there is that you have only a very small amount of time or words or communication you can make with someone mm-hmm. to influence them towards your product. For sure. Right? And it's generally accepted that you have to focus on the main thing that's bugging them. Mm-hmm. You need a solution for their main problem. And if you can align that well, if you have a good solution, you can communicate that effectively and it matches their problem, that is a successful marketing effort. Take our gym as an example. It's very hard to put a ad on Instagram that is appealing to someone by talking about building a durable body and expressive and community and social events because people, that person that's watching that is not sitting there going, you know what, man, I need more community in my life. Why? I need more social events because most people don't think in that way. Okay. Right? Because, I mean, sure, some do. But respectfully to everybody, most people are like, oh, fuck, a little bit fat after Christmas. <laughs> I don't feel that confident to take my shirt off at the beach. Yeah. I'd really like to be in better shape this year. Mm-mm-mm-mm. That's the shit that, that keeps us. That's the shit that you wake up in the morning and you, you're, in the, you know, you're having a shower and you're like, I've got love handles. Mm. You know? Mm. That's, and, that, and I have these thoughts, you know? Um, and I fucking slap myself in the face and say, shut up, bitch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> get in that cold shower. It's not actually that cold because it's summer. Lukewarm. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, so then that means, well, you kind of, you need to, your job as the marketer is to get the person through the door mm-hmm. so that you can avail them of, to this opportunity, right? If I can't get them through the door, they don't get all of those awesome benefits confidence and the friendships and the social vibes and the you know wow i'm so glad i came and joined this place Mm. so if i fuck up at that first step they never make their way in i've failed in my mission for sure i have to appeal to that primary concern for them which is sometimes superficial Mm. now i'm not saying your marketing should be you know whatever all about six packs and all about we don't do challenges here at the gym as a result uh, you know um, we've never done we've, we've tried a couple but we've been like nah we don't do challenges because challenges really speak to that vulnerability of people six week challenge you know lose 10 kilos feel great you know get summer ready whatever we never fucked with that mm. but we also understand that we need a little bit of that and you need to appeal to people so you know lean strong confident you know look great sometimes that stuff needs to be in the marketing uh, so that's why I push back because I think while I'm not saying you go all in on yep. that end of the spectrum, I think that unfortunately the base of how our vulnerabilities and concerns and whatnot work, we need to kind of appeal to those at the outset so that we can bring people into a place where they can have that transformation. I fucking hate that word too, but you know that is what it is. Yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> this is my 
hugely out there vision is that we have a paradigm shift around fitness in the gym so that people don't necessarily associate the gym with like, I need to, you know, get back into shape because I've got love handles. Do you know where the gym originated? The concept. Has to be in Greece. Has to be in Greece. Tell me about it. Have you heard of Aristotle? Have. Have you heard of Plato? Have. What do you think? I'm living in a fucking vacuum? (laughs) (laughs) Shit. (laughs) Have you heard of Greece? (laughs) Yeah, go on. Uh, So these were two of Greece's most famous intellectuals and philosophers. They also are credited with the establishment of two of the world's earliest gyms. Wow. So the whole idea, gym started as a place to train the body. The Greeks had a bit of a fascination with aesthetics and you can see that in their artwork and they're always depicted naked. They did so as a side because it basically distinguished them from barbarians. They would have like the Greeks as naked and virtuous and righteous and like look how jacked Hercules is versus like look at the shitty Persians in their crappy garments and whatnot. But as a side, they, they opened the gym to train physically because they valued that as a, you know, as an important hallmark of quote unquote being civilized. But they also had schools attached to them. They had Plato and Aristotle deliver philosophical lectures. So people came to the gym to train their physicality, but they also came to be educated. That is the origin, origin story of the gym. It was a place to train physically as well as expand your mind through education, through guys like Plato and Aristotle. So my far-fetched vision is to recreate that. And so people have a different association with the gym, the association they have now, where it's a, where it's a school, where it's a place like, yeah, we can, we can come train physical skills and we can come build an aesthetic physique because that quote-unquote distinguishes me from the barbarians, whatever. But it's also a place where... Who are the barbarians in our modern-day age? That's a whole other podcast, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Please continue. (laughs) Oh, dear. Um, But this idea that you you come to these places to be educated, they would host symposiums and lectures. And once again, philosophers would travel to gymnasiums. It was the place where they would lecture. Yeah. And it was a place where they educated people. And like you guys do this really well in terms of workshops. You're providing spaces for people to be educated. You're still teaching physical things, but you're also teaching things that, you know, maybe the person on Instagram looking at your marketing goes like, I just need to lose a bit of belly fat. They don't expect to come into this gym and have a rings workshop where they're practicing and playing around with concepts and connecting with people. So that's my far-fetched vision of, of what a gym should be. And, you know, once again, you guys do it really well because it's like, yeah, you, you have enough of the quote-unquote modern-day marketing tactics to actually have people come in. Because, yeah, at the end of the day, if no one's coming in the gym and you don't have a gym, do you? No. No. Business has to survive. Exactly. Is, so in what you're saying there, I really like this idea, but is that not kind of already playing out in gyms like ours and gyms like yours? For sure. Where they're doing, you know, specialty workshops. For sure. But doing, I think- hey, guys, we're doing a nutrition seminar this weekend. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll... Are gyms like yours and gyms like mine, are they the majority or the, mon- the minority? Well, that's a good point. I, yeah, they would definitely be the minority. And if, if gyms like ours are the minority, where is, where is mass cultural consensus around the gym coming from? It's coming from the majority, the people that, you know, have a different association with these things. And that's like when I first, when I moved back to Sydney this year, I was so selective about which gyms that I 
wanted to train in. Um, I remember you were just like testing them all out. Testing them all out. Testing like, where'd you go this week, Serge? Yeah, like, yeah, four different places. And, and it was awesome because you, you get an idea of the cultures and everything. And that's one of the things that I find fascinating about micro gyms as well as the culture. And in micro gyms, they're small businesses, so a lot of the time you can you have a fair idea based on the person at the head. And so, like, all I had to really do to understand the culture was meet the guy at the head and I could go, okay, this guy's pretty switched on, you know, this is probably a good gym. Um, but, yeah, just this, like, shifting the cultural consensus to whereby we're seeing a gym not as a binary place to get a workout and feel a little bit better about our shitty bodies, but as a place to, like, come in, train some physical skills, you know, potentially work towards a quote-unquote aesthetic physique, but also go in with an open mind about learning new school, new skills and to be educated. That's my belief, and that's what I try and do in my coaching practice. The mismatch happens when people have different expectations. I'm like, bro, why the fuck is this guy talking so much? Why is he trying to lecture me about the different muscle groups in the pull-up? Or, like, you know, what is he talking about context and intent? Like, I just want to feel a little bit less shitty about myself. And those, for me, are the people that I get most frustrated with as clients. Once again, like, this is just between you and me, right? Um, <laughs> but it's, I find the just tell me what to do people the most frustrating to work with. Because it's like... Is that fair? Probably not. Probably not. But if I'm trying to facilitate and create a context around my coaching and my own movement practice and, and the people that, you know, we're trying to shape in these spaces... Yes, then like you come to class with questions and, you know, ideally the coach can provide some insight into that. And I look at fitness like a conversation and the more fitness you have, the better questions you can ask. So it speaks to your concepts as well. It's like, and maybe to tie in everything we've been talking about in terms of like quote-unquote unconventional movements. Like when, when someone is coming into a gym, they need to establish some basic vocabulary. What's a rigid spine? You know, like where is my body in space? That's, that's basic words. You're learning words. You're learning exercises, but words and exercises are synonymous in this example. Then you can start to build on their vocabulary, right? You know, we've got this movement here and, you know, we've got one variation of a deadlift, but now we're going to lift up a sandbag. So we just talked about a rigid spine, but now we're going to talk about a rounded spine. You're building up the vocabulary. And then once they've established fairly good movement mechanics and they have somewhat of a decent vocabulary, then you can start to think about how you dress that person's psychology. You can like program a workout in a way that's meant to trick them. And then they give a little bit more than they would have liked to give, but then they experience this breakthrough on the other end of it. And then you arrive at a point, which is, perhaps where I'm at in my coaching, I'm like, what the fuck is the point of it all? And I've started to, you know, quote unquote, ask better questions about the concept, about the point. Because ultimately I think that's what fitness is. And yes, to your point about marketing, a coach might represent one thing to one person, but as a coach, I think we need to have an understanding of these concepts. If we're actually to truly serve people and help people, like I personally believe it's my responsibility to overthink a lot of shit because it helps my clients or it helps me deliver things to my clients that I feel are integral and in alignment with what I'm trying to create. Yeah, I agree that I think it's your responsibility to, to, 
to take things to that degree and to think about it and sort of consider things more deeply than perhaps they need to. And I, I think that that's, a, you know, if I meet someone and they're like, oh, I, um, I wanted to get in shape for my wedding and I did six months at a boot camp and it was really awesome. And my coach trainer just flogged us every day. It was great. And would be like, great, show me how you move. And generally they move like shit, right? Because mm-hmm. they didn't learn anything. All they did was just get flogged for half a year. But I'm like, do I, can I, like they got the result they wanted. While it didn't include any kind of, well, arguably it would have included some kind of spiritual growth, but it didn't. They didn't learn how to move. They didn't build any coordination. Their mobility probably got worse. You know, there's a bunch of negative effects of it. Uh, do I not accept that as having been a plus, like a positive for that person? Of course you do. It goes back to that Gilbert concept, transcend and include. That's why it really stuck out to me. And when I'm communicating, it's not my intent to badmouth gyms and coaches. They have their place. No, but more what I'm getting at there is the... Um, Impo- like so say I think that that what you're saying is I think it's noble and I think that it should be an aspiration that I'm going to provide people that I train not just coaching on how to move but I also want to fold in this philosophical piece I want to empower them with knowledge and I want to teach them why and whatnot but if someone doesn't want to hear that shit in my opinion that's okay too for sure for I don't sure. think that that should be like a yeah, like I said, it should be aspirational, but also not a non-negotiable. It's yeah. like, that's cool. If you just want to get, do the hard work, let's go. And once again, it's, it's why I like the fact that there's a whole variety of different micro gyms out there. Because it's like, if, if that's a contention that you run in, you say, well, maybe, maybe I'm at the wrong gym or maybe the client's at the wrong gym. There, there's, there's places out there for, for those people. So it's... I don't know, it's a win-win, but I feel like, in my opinion, in my belief, there should, there should be this, this sort of, I don't want to call it a service, but there should be this sort of education available to people. And when you say, you know, about providing them with knowledge, I don't really see that as my intent. I feel like my job is to just help people ask better questions. Because, once again, it's like, if I'm providing knowledge, that predicates that I know something. And once again, to tie back to the start of the conversation, I'm at a point where, like, do I know? Do I know? Or through my experience when I'm training someone, can I just get them to a place where they're asking better questions for themselves? And then that opens them up, them up to a conversation whereby they can start to play around with adaptability and durability and expression. And maybe they get to a point where they're like, what is the point? Like, I'm a powerlifter. I've just spent 10 years building up this deadlift. Why? That's pretty cool. That's how I look at fitness. Tell me, what do you think are the, what are some of the main challenges? We kind of touched on it a little bit, but what are some of the main challenges that like a younger coach faces when they're like, they, they aspire to be really good. They want to be great at it. Talk to me about, you know, like your kind of top, the top things that you find yourself ruminating on. So I think I sent you a message about this, but this is something that I was recently thinking about. But coaching is traditionally something that people do because they love it. 
you know, like you love coaching. I love coaching. Paulie loves coaching. The problem is we need to make money. For me, how I sort of conceptualize it is I looked at this two ways. There's the way of the amateur and the way of the pro. Amateur, literally, like the etymology of that word is to love or do something for the love of it. And so I think a lot of coaches are sort of in this really tricky spot where they're doing it for the love of it. They're amateurs, but they need to make a professional's remuneration. There are different tactics of the amateur and the professional. And so what's so if that's the etymology of amateur, is there a corresponding etymology of the word professional? I don't or are they know. kind of mismatched in this realm? I don't know. Okay. I should look it up. Where's Jamie? You know, Jamie has the Rogan <laughs> on Rogan. Holy oh, looked that shit up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, Carry on. So, the amateur does the thing because they love it. The amateur does the thing because so they love it. Arguably passion driven, whereas professionals more of like a utilitarian. Like yeah. this is gonna, I can apply myself here and. A good coach. To be a good coach, you need to be a full time coach. Yeah. I mean, you can be a great to be good as in coach. to develop the skill set for sure, right? Like th- you're going to be exposed to far more people, getting far more reps. Like even if you are a great part-time coach, it's inevitable that a full-time coach, if they are applying themselves and has quote-unquote correct intent, they will surpass your capacity. So yep. it's like the 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 paradox is, you're an amateur coach, or I'm an amateur coach that does this for the love of it. I'm a full-time amateur coach. It's like I do this for the love of it, but I need to support my lifestyle to continue living as a coach that wants to do it full time. So I need to deploy some professional tactics. And you touched on it in terms of the marketing and like the use of Instagram. And it's like, how do you play the game just enough to have a constant stream of revenue whereby you can support the lifestyle that you love? So that would be one of the the first and most blaringly obvious ones. It's like, how does a coach make a quote unquote full time living? How does a how is a coach remunerated appropriately for the effort and the energy they put into the into the quote unquote profession? Once again, I like practice for that reason because it implies some development. But I think that implicitly that that is what a lot of coaches are. We're, we're amateurs. We love it, and maybe we feel uncomfortable selling. Maybe we don't. The problem is perhaps if a coach gets into it and they go straight to professional tactics whereby it's like, you know, they have great marketing, but in terms of their competency to deliver meaningful and appropriate sessions is limited. And I imagine you've seen a few of that over your years in the the fitness industry. Absolutely. Yeah. So the money thing's obvious and it almost sounds, um, you know, it's, it sounds bad to continually harp on it, but that would probably be the, the glaringly obvious one. It's like, how do we make a, a professional's wage in a quote-unquote amateur craft. Right, yep. I mean, in your definition there, though, of amateur, it's, it's, you, if it's for the love of something, then you can be a professional. You, you can you be a professional can. and an amateur concurrently. Mm. Versus you, the, the typical definition of amateur means, no, you're an amateur or a professional. Yeah, you, in typical definition would, would imply that you don't make money from the thing, yeah. being an amateur, Yeah, for sure. Um, 
Yeah, have you heard of Stephen Pressfield before? Maybe. He's the guy who wrote The War of Art. Okay, the, the name rings a bell for yeah. that reason. And then the second book in the series is called Turn Pro. Yeah. He talks about it from a creative perspective in terms of like sitting down every day to do the work. That's what the professional does, right? They just show up and do the work, turn pro, um, versus the amateur is someone that quote-unquote only writes when inspired. Mm. So he uses those sort of two seemingly opposite paradigms to to convey the point it's like amateur is like this sort of part-time airy fairy sort of thing versus the pros it is like diligent disciplined dedicated and shows up to work every day i feel like the coach does that like most coaches do that they're disciplined they have good intent but once again i think that selling and, and making money in a way that feels like you're still you know, doing what you love and not compromising elsewhere, that's a challenge. Yeah. I think that the, uh, to your point there, I think the pathway into coaching is often the cause of coaches not being professional. Mm, for sure. Because you get into it because you like training. You generally don't, you don't get into it because you're trying to build a business. Mm. And, you know, if you look at anyone that gets into business to build a business, they usually do quite well from the business for side. Sure. You know, yep, this is our marketing strategy. This is our sales strategy. We've got our business plan. You know, we've got capital. Whereas coaches are like, oh, I was just really liking these classes. So I went and got, got my PT certificate and now I've opened a gym. It's funny because it's true. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that's a, the, the common fuck up for coaches and for gym owners is like not, not recognizing that early enough and then diving in and learning those skill sets. We did that classically. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, you got another one there that energy is a big one energy energy right one of the best pieces of advice that I got from a coach whether he no- whether or not he meant that meant it in the way that I received it but his advice was protect your energy the way that I've um, sort of internalized that is it's not so much be selective about the conversations you have but Perhaps more accurately, it's about having a, you know, this sort of distinction between like, I'm your coach here and I'm finished class and I'm going to go hang out by myself because I need to protect my energy. It's transactional is the wrong Where's word. Where's the bathroom? Yeah, sort of thing. I need to go be alone. Yeah, yeah. Um, and once again, it's like, because a lot of coaches get into it because they love it. They like people, they like talking, they like helping people very quickly idea around protecting your energy can become very blurred we were um actually living on a gym in a gym in far north queensland we were on a caravan on site at the gym and that idea around protect your energy <laughs> was was non-existent because we'd finished coaching the nine thirty class it'd be ten thirty in the morning we'd have a coffee we'd be like all right we're going home and so you go sit outside the front of the caravan. But like <laughs> everyone is still there and talking and whatnot. Um, so I think it's managing your energy and managing your relationships as a coach is another big challenge. Yep. And personally, something that I'm not very good at. And I justify it as I'm invested in people. Hayley, my partner, much better at it. She's like, <laughs> just last night, I finished coaching at 7.30. I was talking to people to 8.15. And I'm like texting her, be like, I'm away home. She's like, why are you so late? I'm like, I was talking to people. So 
And once again, I can justify it as a good thing, but I think if you want to be a quote-unquote pro, you do have some boundaries around when quote-unquote class finishes or when, when our time is done and it's time for me to go and have some food or go to the bathroom or, you know, quote-unquote recharge. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That It's not to say that you don't have spontaneous conversations with people mm. or give people your time, but you need to be mindful of how and when you're doing it for sure. Mm. Yeah, that one, I mean, if yeah, when you're in a gym, right, that can really bring a young coach undone quick because you just a one-hour class becomes a two-hour engagement. Yep. You're doing a few of those a day, plus then you got people coming in before class and, yeah, it can fuck you up. And it's sort of like maybe if you got paid for 15 minutes before and after, maybe that's a way to, like, formalise that interaction because you are actually coaching in that – half an hour before and after class because you're building a relationship you're building buy-in so it's it's implicitly part of your quote-unquote responsibility but it's usually not remunerated or compensated for it's like yeah you paid for an hour but you're going to spend two hours in the gym yeah yeah totally i think the way we approach that because it is hard it's it's kind of not feasible to pay for those hours Mm. right for the all for that time outside of the class but the, tr- the benefit for the coach is they, they are the moments where you'll typically meet the people that will become your personal training clients. Mm. So that's your opportunity to connect with people, share some knowledge, show them how that you can help them. And then if they want further help, hey, do you want to do some training together outside of class and we can work on that? And that's where that time can be paid for or it can be, it can be you know, remunerated in terms of like that's your that's your time to connect with folks. How do you how do you in your coaches educate them on the transition between like yeah we're just having a chat after class versus like transitioning to oh this is a potential client here. Is there an education around when do you ask for credit unquote. card details? <laughs> it's a good it's a good question. The quote unquote the close like uh, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, so um I mean I would say that you know the, the coaches here meet weekly. And there's always a discussion around, you know, Paul's probably the guy to really talk on this, but there's always a discussion around like what went well, how, how many clients do you have? Did you pick up anyone new? So these conversations will always come up, mm. which is great because it, it means that everyone kind of has eyes and input on how these conversations are playing out and what the approach should be on a regular basis. I would say the general advice is offer, like give help first and foremost and then if it seems appropriate tell the person hey if you want to dive into this a bit more i reckon you know we could do a couple of sessions together privately and i could really help you work on it Mm -hmm. and that's kind of it and if the person says oh great yeah like how does that work then you talk prices and terms and conditions Mm. and if someone's like oh yeah i'll think about it you're like cool we'll leave it there yeah so it's basically it's 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 a very soft approach and it should always begin with let me give you some help on that no charge and then you can, you know, take it a step further if they're, um, you know, open to it. What I hear as well as you're discussing that or describing that is the significance of an environment, specifically like you reference the team, but it seems like environmentally you've created a place for that conversation to feel organic and natural and for your trainers to succeed. And I think this potentially goes back to a mismatch in expectations between like gym owners and coaches because maybe unconsciously like a gym owner expects 
implicitly, like unconsciously, maybe expects their their coaches to build buy in with their with their clients, but there isn't like support systems as to how to make, you know, how that coach transitions that client into a potential lead, and then you know, a PT whatever. Um, can you speak to that? Yeah, well, I think it needs to be incentivized for the coach, right? It's like, you know, it wouldn't work if we said, hey, in this gym, we only do small group training and it's a membership that gets paid to the gym. And I want you to be nice to the members and I want you to, you know, be available to chat with them after class and field their questions. Coach, well, like, sure, but what's in it for me? Like, yeah, I got to get to the next gym because I need to make a living. Yeah. You know, so our, our model is you teach classes and you also do personal training. And your personal training is going to be the bulk of your income. Mm-hmm. But the classes is where you're going to be connecting with this network of people, with the tribe. And that's a really good source of PT leads. Mm. Um, and that's also the bread and butter of the gym. And of course, we need you know good people who are there you know leading those classes. So I think we acknowledge that first and foremost. There's a lot of gyms out there, I think, that don't acknowledge coaches need to make money. Yeah. And you're, the $27 you're paying them for the hour doesn't matter how many of those fucking hours you give them each week, it's probably not going to be enough for them to yep. stick around for any meaningful period of time if they wish to live in Sydney. And plus there's a point of diminishing returns. It's like you give a coach 25 hours. It's like, yeah, you're earning a bit of money, but you're going to be burnt out in six months. That's right. You've got no life outside of yep. it. So I think like that's kind of the first thing. The second part is we recognize that personal training is an integral part of the, the Jungle Brothers product. Mm. So it's like the group classes are the main thing and that's you know what brings people in and that's where the majority of the good stuff happens. But there's going to be people that want to take certain skill sets further than what the class can offer. There's going to be people that you know maybe don't feel confident to jump into that setting right away or perhaps ever. There's going to be people that are rehabbing injuries, sports-specific goals, whatever. And so personal training is the more suitable product for those groups. So it's really important that we have that and that we encourage that. And the fact that, you know, it's a big open plan gym, we don't, hey, personal trainers, take your clients over yeah, the road. Right. Do it here yeah. where all of the members who are in class can see that this also is on offer here, mm. you know? Mm. Show them. Like, that's part of the culture. So then I don't think it's out of place then when someone says, man, if you're interested in getting your muscle up, I can take you through it. We could do, you know, we could start with a couple of sessions. Like, oh yeah, I've seen other people doing that. That sounds cool. Mm. You know, like it just, the whole culture is geared towards that being part of the thing. That's really interesting. Like you talk about the open plan of the gym because it's, that's even something that I would very easily overlook. But when you say it like that, it's like, oh, that's so obvious. Like people are on the same floor doing group classes and PT, visual, like we can see this is part of the culture. Yeah. What I, what I really admire about you guys, another thing is that, um, I lost my train of thought. Give me a sec. I was going to say, anytime you want to compliment us, the gym, you're welcome on the show, Serge. Um, and that's what the listeners are here for. Man, it was like a really good compliment as well. Damn. Maybe it'll come back. No, it'll, 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 it's, it's this. You talk about these systems. You talk about the environment. You talk about the culture. But then your actions line up with it. Like, so you can say, and I think... A lot of gyms say, we love our coaches, we support them. Of course they say that. We're, interested, we're invested in coaches' development. 
Like, which gym wouldn't say that? They'd all say that. But what I like about you guys is that, like, you, as I said, you literally have people down there doing PTs. Like, there's a visibility. You host a two-hour meeting every week to support your PTs. So you're not just saying we support our PTs. You actually have systems in place. You're actioning those systems. And I think that's awesome. And that's one of the things I really admire. And I think it was a point a couple of years ago where I learned not skeptically to not believe everything someone says, but I just became far more attuned to the manifestation of that, like the action of that. And it, and it massively helped in making decisions around like which cultures I want to be immersed in. Because yes, it's, it's, it's all well and good to meet the person at the top, but it's more so like how they carry themselves. Show me your bottom feeders. <laughs> Show me the people who clean the toilets here. Yeah, well, yeah, it's true. And there was, there was one um, meeting that I'd arranged and um, I, I, I don't think I'm an entitled coach. However, we had arranged a meeting and the person that I arranged the meeting was, was late. And I'd already made up my mind about whether I wanted to be a part of that culture just based on the action of being late because it demonstrated to me, yeah, yeah, it's all well and good to say this is part of your ethos, but, like, you're late. And it wasn't acknowledged either. Oh, like, sorry for being late. No, it wasn't. How late? (laughs) Late enough for me to kind of, like, go up and sit at the meeting desk, kind of look around kind of thing. Like, you know, it's like if we were to do this podcast. Hello, darkness, my old friend. Yeah, kind of like <laughs> you got your podcast table and I did the equivalent of sitting at the podcast table like before being welcomed in. <laughs> anyway, actions over words. And I think that like maybe the, the gym industry is like we become very good at articulating our beliefs and values but maybe there's a mismatch in how we demonstrate those. And I said, I think you guys do that really well. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, I, in our view, there's no other way, right? If you're going to say it, you have to do it. Mm. And doing it is actually in our benefit, always. You know, like, how many gyms are there that are struggling for coaches, you know? And you could argue that they're probably the same gyms that don't put any time into their coaches' development. Mm. They're just waiting for good coaches to turn up mm. rather than creating systems that could create good coaches. Yeah, and not to say that we don't have our own problems here, our own thing. Oh, fuck, you know, we've lost so-and-so. Oh, man, we don't have... So-. You know, like those things happen. But I would say that like all of those systems are geared towards supporting this organisation. You know, the coaches are happy. Great, that means that they're showing up, they're doing a good job, it means that the members are happy, it means that they're paying their memberships, it means that the business is healthy, you know? means that there's another generation of people who are always coming up that are like, hey, I want, I want to get in front of the people. I want to do the thing. means that the people at the top can be like, yeah, you know what? I'm kind of itching to try something else or whatever. So, yeah, I think like it's almost, maybe it's a bit of a curse of being in small business because there's so much to think about. There's so much shit to handle. It can be hard to sort of have a longer term view like that. Yeah. But I would say that's probably a short term kind of, a symptom of being a bit short-term in how you're viewing things. Yeah. You know, another thing I like about you is that you're pretty transparent. Where 
this conversation for myself has been traditionally difficult because I've always sort of taken the side of, yeah, yeah, no, the business needs to make money and, like, you know, there's a monetary trade-off and maybe they, quote-unquote, can't afford to invest in their coaches. And I get that. Like, what is the investment? You don't need to give rounded figures, but, like... Oh, actually? Yeah, from, from like, from a coach's professional development. Like, if I'm being unempathetic, I'm going... Surely you can afford to invest in your coaches because then those coaches invest back in the business. Maybe there's a bit of an upfront cost. Surely it pays you back. Well, yeah. I mean, again, I, I'm you know Dylan and Paul who 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 run that side of things. I'm um, you know I'm I'm treading on their ground right now. Sure. But what I can say is, so in the past when we when we decided, because here's the deal, we're not a fitness first, right? We don't have hundred people signing up each week. Mm. We have like, I don't know, five to ten a month. So there's not a huge pool of people for personal trainers to fish from. Um, so in that regard, we kind of, we recognized that and said, well, look, we can't offer personal trainers a huge amount of fresh leads all the time, which a big gym can. What we can offer them is exceptional coaches development and that we will do the best we can to make them successful and grow their own business. So when we first, was it when we first did it? Or maybe it came a bit later, but we were like, hey, let's, we, we had like a, like a meeting and we would sort of do coaches development type stuff, but we decided, hey, all right, let's invest in this. And we asked one of our coaches at the time, Aaron, who's gone back to Ireland, went back to Ireland last year and is hopefully opening Jungle Dublin with his buddy um, Andy soon, shout out boys. Mm-hmm. Um, he was like, well, look, I've, he'd been doing a, a business course and he's like, I'd be really happy to, run the coach's development. So we were paying him and I, I, a couple hundred bucks a week, something like that, to basically be with the guys for 60 minutes and go through what he was learning. So there was a, you know, there was a monetary trade-off there. It, that sort of fizzled out after a little while. He sort of exhausted his bag of tricks and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and we realized, oh, you know, he's a really busy guy and he's moving home and he, you know, he had a busy personal training thing that he'd grown here. So um, we took it, the, the gym took it back off him and, you know, in recent years, it's been Paul and Dylan. And, I mean, there's a huge amount of time they put into it. The huge amount of time goes into, like, creating the content, right, that they're going to be discussing each week and mm-hmm. actually considering that and, and learning those things. So, you know, whatever it is, whether it's reading books or they're doing their own, they've got their own business coach and that stuff is then informing what they're working on. But it's also the time they spend on accountability. So they meet with the coaches at regular periods. I think it's like once a month they meet with every coach. Mm-hmm. So it's like sit down, let's go get a coffee. Let's talk about how your business is doing. You know, and that's probably 45 minutes, you know, each meeting, right, pretty easily amongst 12 coaches. Um, and then there's also the accountability, which is, you know, it's actually not easy to get that many people together once a week. So there's a lot of effort that has to go towards motherfuckers i need you to be at this meeting it's in your best interest and of course coaches are busy and they're like man you want me to come in for like whatever two unpaid hours and the business like yes i do Mm. but it's paid because this spend this time and you will you know grow your business grow your yourself yeah so you know all of that stuff takes a lot of effort if they were to scrap it today i think they'd be like that's a big load off the off the plate with full of shit with all the other processes and systems in the gym um, but it is important 
Mm. And so, you know, I don't think like if we're kind of looking at practical takeaways for like an existing gym that wants to start to move towards that, it doesn't have to be done to that degree. Yeah. You know, they probably don't have 10, 12 coaches like us. They've probably got three or four. Great. Like have a get together once a month, you know, teach them something about what's been helpful in your business. Teach them about how you do social media. Teach them about sales or customer relationships or marketing. Yep. You know, I'm ho- hopefully you know something. Mm. Even te- go through some shit about the training, the movement, you know. Upskill people. Oh, that's a person. They don't understand flexibility. All right, let's, let's do a little flexibility workshop. Yeah. Like there's so much stuff to pass on. Yeah. And I would argue that like um, a lot of gyms just don't have those regular get-togethers amongst mm. coaches. You know, mm. maybe they do. We all train together. But it's like, well, that's great. But, you know, it's important to build rapport and stuff. But where is the actual exchange of knowledge and the shit that's going to help these people elevate? Yeah. And that's going to then allow this whole organization to keep elevating. Yeah. It's why I asked a question for you to explicitly articulate that whole process. Thanks Once again, asking. I think it's, it's awesome. That's something that has been proposed in our gym is coaches, like coach-led coach development. So the idea being that like each coach might have a specific niche and then they will lead a workshop amongst other coaches for an hour. That's something that we're going to play around with this year. I think that's a cool idea. Builds rapport in the group because, you know, one person's taking leadership. Um, Something that we have also tossed up with, and this speaks to the idea about exposing yourself to different environments, is like bringing people like yourself in or vice versa as a group of coaches going and hanging out in another gym. I don't know if that's common though. Like say in Sydney... There are such a diverse range of gyms. Is it common for like coaches from different gyms to go hang out at different gyms? No, I don't think so. Surely that's hugely beneficial. Like I remember listening to a podcast and you guys are talking about going and hanging out at Accelerate with Matt and Sean and they took you guys through some Olympic lifting and how you guys were articulating how valuable it was. I like... It took us years to put that together. Yeah. Because it was the same thing as like, ah, oh, fuck, we have to drive over to Balmain. We were so busy. We already got the meeting on the, you know, and uh, uh, CrossFit. Was, that, was yeah. the value that you got from it worth like, you know, compromising on your busyness? Was the juice worth the squeeze? That's the one. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, oh, absolutely. Everyone's like, that was a sick day. They've, scratch, done it, they've done it again since. I scratched my head. I'm like, why doesn't it have more often? Like specifically, like in Sydney, you know, we, as I said, we have such diversity. Yeah, I think it's just easy not to. Fair enough. You know, it's just easy to be like, ah, I'll do it some other time, not right now, you know. And it's kind of like, you know, I'm classically like, I don't put petrol in my car until I'm running on empty, you know. <laughs> and it's like, why don't, like, you need petrol. Your car doesn't run without, why don't you just get petrol? Mm. It's like, no, I'm too busy to get petrol. I hear that. <laughs> I'm going to keep driving. I hear that. You know, so it's like, it's kind of that thing. Yeah, I think we're all guilty of it. But yeah, I suppose too, in business, in gym business, there's there's also an element of um, protectionism where it's like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to be seen to, you know, be going to some other one's, other person's gym to learn. I don't want to be seen to be inferior to them you know, or to be unsure of myself. I think those things are implied. Mm. It's like, hey, why don't you go, you know, it's like I know another gym owner in this area. And he, every time I see a lovely guy and every time I see him, he's like, 
Man, I fucking love the stuff you guys do. I see it. Your gym looks so sick. I want to come and do a class there so bad. Which come, bro? He's like, yeah, fuck, it's hard, you know? And I'm like, yeah, I get it. And, you know, out of, um, you know, being polite, I'm like, I would like to come to your class, to your a class at your gym too. And I'm like, yeah, maybe one day I will. I don't actually think I'm going to learn anything from it. I just, you know, I would like to just, it would be a cool experience. Yeah. You know, and nice to reciprocate. But, um, you know, he's never come. And, you know, he's busy as fuck. Guy's running a gym. I see they've got a couple others opening up. It's, you know, it's just tough. There's yeah. every reason not to. I hear. Even though, as we've identified, there is every reason to do it. Well, this is, I'm going to make myself accountable on your podcast right now, but yes. this is something that I've committed to this year is doing that, doing exactly that, like making an effort to go and hang out in different gyms. And your one is top of mind, top of the list. So it's like consciously scheduling and whether it is once a month or once every three months or something, but it's like a conscious effort to go and outsource my training and come hang out at a strength and movement class at Jungle Brothers. That's, that's my accountability pledge. I like that. On, on the Jungle Brothers podcast. So what, we're going to see you once? We, like, what's the deal? How, what's hang out mean? Give me well, some measurables. It, it means come and do a class with you guys. Cool. It means, yeah, like... We like maybe multiple times? Or are you talking, no, nah, like once here, once there, once another place? This gym specifically, yeah. I would like to make this a regular. But the point is, like, making a conscious effort to outsource my training from time to time. Because there's so much value in exposing yourself to those differing environments. And once again, as a coach, like, it's so easy to get locked in with what you're doing and selling the solutions that you're selling. But as a practitioner in quote unquote movement and fitness, like you can learn so much and it's always good to like put yourself in the client's shoes from time to time. And like we're doing lizard crawls and I'm like, wait, what the fuck are we doing? (laughs) Why are we doing this weird shit? Like, but there's so much value there. Absolutely. There you have it folks. That's a jungle brothers exclusive. (laughs) Breaking <laughs> Friday the 13th Is that what it is today? It's Friday the 13th Damn son I told myself I wasn't going to mention that Because <laughs> it's like an American thing Yeah What I just did I just think of um, Jason Is it Jason? Oh no, Freddy Kruger Yeah, no, it was it Jason Who's Friday the 13th No idea I'm not a horror movie guy Oh uh, Yeah Yeah, with the, with the ski mask With the hockey mask on And the knife he, I'm sure that was Friday the 13th Was he in Rick and Morty? Oh, I don't know. But he's been, you've seen him, is it? Yeah, Jason, he wears like kind of over, like a like an overalls kind of thing and he's got the white hockey mask on and hair off the back and he stabs people. And the movies were Friday the 13th. That was the series. So second accountability pledge is that I'm going to go and Google Jason from Friday the 13th after this. Nice. Yeah, I think one of the most recent ones had Jamie Lee Curtis in it. Okay. Fantastic. There you go. Yeah, enjoy. <laughs> thank Mate, you. Thank you for coming on the show today. It's been Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it was everything I hoped it would be. Uh, I love our chats and um, I look forward to doing it again sometime later in the year. Absolutely. My man. Thanks, Joseph. Cheers, Serge. Thanks for listening, guys. Hey, if you like the show, please give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to and share an episode with a friend. It helps us to grow the show. Um, so we'd appreciate it. Thank you and we'll see you next time.